the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode number 262 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Houston. Today, we have a bunch of NCAA tournament first round games to talk about. That first round gave us four one goal games, two a two goal game. And a bunch of goals in the games that weren't that close. It was apparent that hashtag Donna got it, got it mostly right, I think, overall in terms of keeping the bracket integrity legit in terms of seeds one through eight playing teams that were appropriate you know, for the seed that you got. They only seed the top eight teams. The other teams, they try to keep some sort of back bracket integrity, but a lot of it's based on travel and uh, uh, other factors. So uh, there was one game that we're going to talk about first here, the Delaware and the Duke game that I think Donna absolutely got it wrong. I think Duke got screwed to uh, end up having to play Delaware, but we'll talk about that. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. If you're an audio listener and you're not watching on Spotify, you may be making a mistake you might want to check us out on on Spotify if you're an Apple podcast listener or something like that because both the audio and video uh, podcast are together on Spotify. So you can kind of, well, especially early on in shows when I'm doing a lot more highlights, you can actually flip your screen to the left, uh, horizontal, watch the highlights before going back to audio as I get a little bit deeper into discussing the games. And then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com and, and watch everything, uh, all of our videos there, get swag, Lax Factor podcast t-shirts, and then just general lacrosse t-shirts and all that crap. All right, I'm going to shut up here in this game the game that duke got screwed by having to play a very good a very veteran laden delaware team delaware came out hot scoring four of the game's first five goals similar to how they played last year against georgetown they took a 4-1 lead with 552 left in the first quarter off a really nice underneath dodge by ty kurtz he beat brower to gle stuck it with no angle he had to dive behind the cage on the finish and delaware is now off to a 4-1 lead delaware would extend that lead to seven to three off back-to-back goals by J.P. Ward, both unassisted, about a minute and a half apart. The second came under uh, just under three minutes into the second quarter, a physical dodge up the right. He got a crappy bouncer uh, off that beat Helm. And at this point, I was wondering, is Duke going to pull Helm? Duke pulled Helm uh, and put, I think, what's his name, Bonafidi in uh, at some point here late in the season when Helm wasn't playing that great. They didn't pull Helm, and it would pay off for them down the stretch. After Delaware went up 8-4, Duke went on a five-goal run, started by Dyson Williams with 539 left in the half, a dish by Brennan O'Neill. Duke forced a turnover just over midfield, perfectly timed double team as Delaware was trying to clear just over midfield field. Uh, The ball goes up the other way, ends up in O'Neal's stick on the point. He hits Williams down low. Easy transition goal there for Duke. The run was capped by Andrew McAdory with 848 left in the third quarter. He subbed in from the box, dodged down the left alley, got a step, got down into that into that lower five and five area and stuck it. That gave Duke a 9-8 lead, their first lead of the game. Brennan O'Neill, he was held scoreless the entire game until 726 left in the contest. He snagged a rebound above everybody else, took a step or two down that left, and then let it rip high to low. That gave Duke back the lead for good as Charlie O'Connor would score the required eventual game winner. Now, I can't say enough in this game. It's important to say how well Owen Grant and the Delaware defense played against O'Neill. Grant finished the game with two cause turnovers, three ground balls, and an assist. O'Neill was held to one goal, three helpers off eight shots and a turnover. And I'm almost positive Grant wasn't on the field when O'Neill scored that lone goal. I'm wondering if Grant was on the field and if he was the one that was marking O'Neill at that point, if maybe O'Neill would have got his hands beaten on. But I, I'm pretty sure Grant was, had, had gotten a penalty 
prior to that, and I don't think he had subbed back in by the time O'Neill scored that goal. Uh, credit to Coach Donowski here for not pulling Wilhelm early. I think that was important. No one would have blamed him if he had yanked Helm after that ugly bouncer that Ward scored, but Donowski stayed with Helm, and it paid off as he ended up having a solid game. He goes for 11 saves versus 11, 11 goals against, and I think by the time Delaware had scored like seven goals, I think, or seven or eight goals, I think Helm only had three or four saves at that point, so he had an excellent uh, finish to the game at least. Uh, he had four stops over the course of the third quarter that proved huge as Duke tried to use those stops to get themselves back into the game and take their first lead, which they eventually did. Now, if we look at the individual stats here, Ty Kurtz, four goals for Delaware. He was incredible. J.P. Ward, two goals, and Mike Robinson, two goals. That three-headed uh, monster at attack for Delaware was very good, but credit the Duke defense. Brower, Stevenson, uh, Carpenter, they did a good job at you know not letting these guys go go off completely here, and then the rest of the roster really couldn't fill it in as beyond their points. Um, you had a guy with two points and then a bunch of guys with one, so that ended up being really good for them. Uh, for Duke, in terms of scoring, like I said, O'Neill was still one and three, but just not scoring a bunch of goals in this game. Credit to Owen Grant, as I said, a, a hell of a defender, going to be an incredible pro lacrosse player here at the next level. Andrew McAdory had a hat trick. I believe he put that hat trick up over the course of a quarter. Uh, Dyson Williams had a hat trick as well and then Duke's regular supporting cast did a good job. Now, early on in this game, Delaware kind of took a that early 2-0 lead and did well early with the faceoffs. but Jake Naso did end up going 15 of 25 on the day for Duke. That's That greatly assisted them, obviously, in terms of being able to get back into this game after going down by so much. And then, as we said, goalie battle here. Matt Kilkiri in goal for Delaware did a great job. 15 saves against 12 goals against, but Will Helm was the goalie that started a little rough here to the point where I thought he might get yanked. He settled in. He made some huge saves for Duke down the stretch, and they end up winning this game. So that was a great job. Uh, uh, Will, Like I said, Stevenson, two cause turnovers. Jack Gray ended up with two cause turnovers. And then Duke just forced turnovers all the way down the roster for the most part, both in the ride and in settled defense. But overall, Duke beat them. In most statistical categories, Duke outshot him by a lot. Credit Kilkerry for being strong in cage and helping Delaware stay in this game, especially early on here. But as we look at turnovers, uh, you know, they kind of forced a lot of turnovers out of Duke too. Both teams cleared the ball well. It was ground balls at Duke. Uh, this is the Duke box score. So this may be wrong here, but Duke's box score thinks it was 40 to 19 in terms of ground balls. Penalties didn't really factor. And like I said, face-offs down the stretch were what was huge here. Uh, you can see Delaware kind of kept pace over the course of the first quarter at the face-off dot, winning five to Duke's four. But then Naso, throughout the rest of the game, if we go through the quarters for Naso, he won four of six in the second quarter. He won three of five in the third quarter. And then he won four of six again in the fourth quarter. And that's how Duke slow rolled themselves back into the game and then advanced from there. Not a whole lot else to talk about outside of the fact that, I mean, holy crap, Delaware should not have been technically what you would call at this point the 16 seed um they probably should have been seated somewhere in the area of like you know you could say anywhere from like 12 to 14 but for duke to have to play them in the first round was a huge mistake should have been bryant and marist in that playoff game bryant was obviously the least battle-tested team i think in the tournament overall beyond marist so i think for sure bryant should have been playing that other play-in game and donna got that one wrong badly all right now 
Let's ditch that and let's talk about Cornell and Michigan. I had hitched my wagon to Cornell for this postseason, and I sadly was not rewarded with a victory. This one came down to the wire and required OT in order to get down to a winner and a loser, uh, and the last six minutes of this game overall were pretty awesome. Uh, after C.J. Kerr scored to tie things up at 11s, Peter Thompson scored back-to-back goals about 40 seconds apart, both unassisted, both solid dodges. Uh, one thing we learned here in this game, that kid can run. I say he's a kid, but he's a fifth-year senior here. His second goal was a straight speed dodge from out top, kind of top middle, down into the hash as he let it rip on the run and beat Erlen five-hole. Cornell would answer as Hugh Kelleher would bully himself into the middle of the field and rip one low and left on Taylor. And then Jack Cascadden, he'd win the ensuing faceoff. He'd streak down the field and score just nine seconds later. The score was back to tied up now at 13s. Michael Bame gave Michigan the lead back with just 149 left in the contest. A beautiful dodge up the left side. He let it go low to high and put it past Erlen's head, uh, who guessed low and lost on that one. And uh, the back back to Michigan here. Coyle would answer with 59 seconds left in the game, pretty much, what was that, 30 seconds exactly later. Got a picket X, dodged hard up that left side. The switch didn't fully take, so he kind of got up up that left, got about a goal, a yard or two above GLE, uh, had his hands free. He scored similar in terms of the shot uh, to what uh, Bame had scored prior, but in this case here, Bame was covered decently, whereas um, Coyle wasn't covered. He was completely uncovered when he let it rip. Overtime would be had, and by the end, it was Peter Thompson saving Michigan season and giving the Wolverines their first NCAA tournament win. The play Michigan drew up went south, but Isaac Aronson slipped a pick he set for Bame, got the ball, and found Thompson streaking down the opposite pipe, and Thompson put the rock home. And hilarity would ensue, or insanity would ensue, whatever, uh, you know, and, and uh, Michigan would win, and they advance now here to play next weekend. Thompson, like I said, a fifth-year guy. He transferred in from Georgetown. He picked a hell of a day to have himself a game. He finished with four goals and a dish, including two goals late in that fourth quarter, as well as that sudden death winner. Also credit Hunter Taylor and Cage, the youngster, Hadn't been starting, had been kind of splitting time with Shane Carr, who everyone assumed would be the starter. He hadn't played well, so the two were kind of splitting time. And uh, uh, Taylor played outplayed veteran Chase Erlen here, stopping 16 shots to just 14 goals against. And Erlen didn't have nearly that well of a game. We'll look here in a second. But legitimately, Hunter Taylor played well in the last game there against Michigan. He had been splitting time, but kind of owned the starting job here and has now, you know, two games deep, has played well and has has, has contributed heavily in terms of Maryland winning and continuing to advance this postseason so far. Also credit the faceoff duo of Nick Rowlett and uh, Justin Wheatfeld as they combined to win 18 of 33 draws. Not the haul that I would have expected they would have needed to get to upset Cornell overall, but good enough to win out. They picked up 15 of the 18 ground balls that they ended up getting here. Let's see here. Yeah, 11 and 19 for Rowlett. He had nine ground balls, uh, so only two of those were won by his wings. Uh, Seven of 14 for uh, Wheatfeld, uh, six ground balls. So only one of those was picked up by the wings. So they did a great job controlling the dot uh, against the Cornell crew here, and they end up winning the game. At the end of the day, I think Taylor... Uh, really gets the game ball in this one just because you know you got a, a young goalie coming in. Granted, this Michigan team has no 
uh, uh, NCAA tournament experience anyway, but for your freshman goalie to outplay a veteran that just played in the finals last year, an incredible job by Taylor on this one. If we kind of go through the scoring for each of these teams, for Cornell, Billy Coyle, uh, what's he? Is he a fifth year? Is he a senior or a fifth? Yeah, he must not be a fifth year. He's probably just a senior. Coyle goes for three goals. CJ Kirst held quiet, just two goals and one helper. I did not foresee that happening. The Michigan defense did an incredible job playing CJ Kirst physical. Uh, they beat him up. They got help there. And then Kilkiri did a good job when he did get shots off making some saves here. But yeah, he ends up with 10 shots, just two goals, one helper, and a turnover. Did force two cause turnovers in the riding game here. Hugh Kelleher, three goals for uh, Cornell as well. Uh, and as we dive into what Michigan did, Peter Thompson, four and one. Michael Bame, three and one. Aronson, two and one. Wheatfeld, one and one. So Wheatfeld wins seven of 14 at the dot and then puts up a goal and an assist uh, in addition to six ground balls. A hell of a job by him. Josh Zuata, quiet, two goals, no helpers. He had been kind of an, an assist machine uh, down the stretch. So, um, Cornell, I forgot who they played for a second. Cornell did a good job on him, but it wasn't good enough in the end as Michigan ends up winning this game. Like I said, as we come down to the goalkeepers here, uh, here Hunter Taylor, 16 saves against those 14 goals against. Chase Erlin, 11 saves against 15 goals against. So that was the painful stat by the end of the day. Let's see what happened man-up-wise. No penalties. That was one key as well. There were zero penalties in this one. Both teams cleared the ball well. So all, all things... Considered it was a close game throughout, obviously. We needed overtime to get to the winner, but uh, Michigan just did a hell of a job at a bunch of key areas on the field, and they get the win, and they advance. Next game I need to talk about here is Army and Maryland. Now, Army held the lead for the bulk of this game through kind of the first half into the third. It wasn't until 2.37 left in the third quarter that Maryland took their first lead of the game. Braden Irksa from Kyle Long, that made the score 12-11 Terps. Now, note, that was a generous assist in terms of giving Irksa an assist for that one because Irksa got the ball and... Um, uh, from Long and took like two or three steps into the middle middle of the field and scored. I don't think I would have given Long an assist on that one. That's just me chirping here. Army would answer back and tie things up, and Jacob Morin would score on a step down from deep to give Army the lead once again, 13-12, just 59 seconds into the fourth quarter. Army actually scored twice to start that fourth quarter out uh, within that first 59 seconds to regain that lead. Now, after some back and forth between the two teams, with Army holding a one-goal lead, it was Gunner Fellows who scored with 53 seconds in the game, providing Army with the required insurance goal. That put Army up 16-14. Maryland would score with 36 seconds left to keep things interesting, but Army would hold on for the win and send the national champs packing. And I think I said that right. Army had the one goal lead late in that game when Fellows scored. Uh, in the battle, at the dot between two of the best in the nation, we're going to kind of dive into it and we'll look at that here. Uh, it was uh, Luke Weirman who held a single Kind of, uh, what do you call it? A single face-off win. He had a single face-off win more than Coletti, but Coletti did enough to keep pace and make sure the Army didn't fall behind in the battle for possessions. Weirman finished the day 18 of 35 with a goal and an assist, and I think that stat line would normally be good enough to get Maryland the win. Uh, Coletti won 17 of 35 with no points, but in cage, that's where the difference was made. Knox Dent, he makes 16 saves for Army, while Brian Rupel, the youngster, struggled stopping only five shots all day. Uh, as has been the case all year, Army got production offensively from just about everybody that played. We see Evan Plunkett, Reese Burrick, they both go one and three uh, for four points. Gunner Fellows with those three goals. Ryan Spazito, 
uh, Finn McCullough and Jacob Morin all go for two goals. Uh, Avi Mel goes one and one, and then you see a bunch of guys put up one point beyond that. As I said down here, if we look at what uh, uh, Knox Dent did in cage, 16 saves against 15 goals against Brian Rupel had a very rough day here overall with army army dudes just rifling shots past his head got beat a lot past his head i feel like um i think that factors heavily here if we look at uh i'm trying to figure out because i watched this game but i didn't have the volume on here oh so it does look like zapatello didn't play again uh you're missing your your goal your national championship winning goalie from a year ago to injury here so rupel the youngster just kind of thrown to the wolves in the NCAA tournament and did not have himself a day. And that was bad enough by the end of it here that his lack of saves cost Maryland the game. You don't want to say, Hey, this team's goalie lost on the game or whatever, but you know, you make just a couple of more saves. There were easily three or four that I saw that I thought like, Oh, he's not seeing the ball well today. So I'm surprised he finished the game, but Maryland doesn't, doesn't really have any depth in cage. As I said, um, Teddy Dolan was the backup goalie uh, that came in. Uh, after uh, What's-His-Nuts got hurt, and then he didn't play well against Syracuse, and Rupel's kind of owned this spot the rest of the time. I think that Maryland's got a club goalie uh, that's actually their third goalie, or it was at one point here this year, so not a whole lot they could do at, at goalie. I think Rupel did give them the best chance to win. He just did not have a great day, and uh, it cost the Terps here in the end. Uh, sad to see it happen, though. The Terps were a good story in the sense of what they lost last year. Uh, and how they were able to kind of rebound despite that and, and fight their way into the tournament and even picking up a four seed here. So credit to the Terps for being insanely tough and for proving that this team mentality that they have is good enough to to win even when you lose five of your six leading scorers. Um, but then also there is that small part of me that thought Tillman kind of finished his season off as kind of looking like a dickhead. And uh, that part of me was glad to see Tillman out, uh, sad to see the Terps team out in general. And once again, I know just saying that even though I give give the Terps team credit and I blast Tillman I'm going to eat a lot of shit and anger all the Terps fans I I do enjoy watching the Terps play I just can't believe the way Tillman kind of looked as the season wound down I know the Terps fans are like fuck it he's our coach screw you you don't know what you're talking about the dude wins that's all he cares about well you know I'm also entitled to my opinion and I, I think he looked like a dickhead numerous times this year no glove checks or anything like that in this game, at least, though. Thank God. Uh, so let's ditch this one, and we're going to now move on to talk about Penn State and Princeton. Princeton jumped out to a 7-1 lead, and I thought this game was already decided at that point. Alex Slusher scored that seventh goal with 9.20 left in the half. The shot clock was running out on the Tigers. He dodges hard up that left side, stuck it with a single second left on that possession. And then Penn State never gave up. They were looked a little bit rough here, and Princeton's been playing really good lacrosse. I thought maybe they were going to roll. Penn State never gave up. They scored 11 of the game's next 13 goals, and by the end of that run, they had flipped the score from 7-1 Princeton to 12-9 Penn State. It was Jeb Brenfleck that stuck that 12th goal for the Nittany Lions, an insanely physical dodge, kind of from that left corner, dodges up into GLE, just kept muscling his way into the 5-5, five and five, let it rip semi-low to high, you know, kind of half sidearm, a little bit dipped a little bit below sidearm. Pretty dirty goal overall, though. Uh, with their backs against the wall, Princeton would put together a three-goal run capped by an Alexander Vardaro stick from the crease, low to low release, dished by Lucas Stanett, and the score was tied up once again at 12s. It was the Binghamton transfer, Kevin Winkoff, that scored the game winner for Penn State, a dodge into the middle of the field that Winkoff let rip while on the run. Righty burned it stick, high, uh, stick side high on Gian Fercaro. 
And that was all she wrote by the game's end. Penn State advanced and made me look dumb as I had picked Princeton to win this game. Uh, Jack Frassian, he won the goalie battle over Michael Gianfrancaro by a margin. Frassian stopped 16 shots on the day to Gianfrancaro's eight saves. Now that Frassian stat line here was necessary as Penn State got absolutely roasted at the faceoff dot, losing 19 of 29 attempts. Andrew McMeekin won 18 of 28 for Princeton with 11 ground balls overall. As we dive into what Princeton did from a scoring perspective, Coulter Mackesy had a great game, six goals. Vardaro, Stanett, Slusher, they were all kept pretty much in check, and that's how Penn State was able to win this game. You know, let 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 they didn't let Mackesy go off. Mackesy scored a bunch of goals a bunch of different ways, but they held the rest of the team in check and they end up winning this game. In terms of scoring for Penn State, pretty spread out. TJ Malone, 2-4. and four. Ethan Long, 5 goals. Jack Trainer 1-2. Winkoff, the Binghamton transfer, 2-1, and one, including that eventual game winner. Uh, and they, uh, it's just a hell of a job here overall for Penn State. And as we look at what Frassian did, 16 saves to just 12 goals against. Gian Fercaro, who has been incredible for Princeton in cage all season long. I gave him an All-American vote. I forget where I put him, but he got one of my four votes for All-American in cage this year. Just eight saves to 13 goals against. So that's a rough one in a close game uh, like they played here today. And that's it. We're going to ditch this one. We're going to ditch this one. We're going to move on here to the Georgetown and the Yale game. I spelt Georgetown wrong in my notes here. This was yet another game where we saw some swing highs and lows and you know teams looked really good at, mo- at moments and then looked really bad for stretches. Uh, Yale jumped out to an 8-3 lead after Thomas Bragg was left out top all alone, hands-free, in transition. He lets a laser go, and it looked like Yale from there may roll 8-3 with a lot of momentum, but not so fast. The Hoyas would score nine out of the next 10 goals in this game, and just like Penn State did it, uh, uh, Georgetown would flip an 8-3 deficit into a 12-9 lead. That run was started by Tucker Dordovic just 52 seconds into the quarter. Minikis dodged down the right alley, found Dordovic on the high crease. Dordovic had to swim his defender, put a stick in his left hand, and buried it. That run was capped by none other than Dordovic, this time on a dish from Declan McDermott, a dodge to the middle of the field. Dordovic was just perplexed. Perplexingly wide open all by himself, uh, an easy fish, an easy stick, or an easy find, easy stick here between uh, McDermott and Dordovic. Yale would manage to tie things back up and even eventually regain the lead, but Georgetown would win the shootout with Brian Minikis scoring the game winner with 349 left in the game. He dodged up the left from X, got a step, and drove hard to above GLE as he put it past Paquette. Nikki Solomon would score the dagger, and then that was all she wrote. Nicholas Ramsey did a solid job at the faceoff dot, winning, winning uh, faceoff dot winning 20 of 36 for Yale. Georgetown was able to overcome that slight disparity, though, by forcing a bunch of turnovers. Wallace Helper and Dylan Hess each forced four turnovers apiece. That kind of evened things out overall. And then Georgetown, as you see, was able to battle back and get the win. Georgetown also a 20, 21 of 21 clearing the ball. I always say that when I see it, and then I'll always see a fan say, I'm not sure they were really perfect clearing the ball. It seemed like they failed on a couple. But in the end, Georgetown beat Yale in almost every statistical category, including the score. Uh, the faceoff dot was the one place where they didn't do all that well. As we see here, Ramsey was 20 of 36. Uh, Machado, Rodriguez, 2 of 4. In terms of point scorers, the Yale attack did all they could here. 3 and 2 out of uh, Leo Johnson, 
three and two out of Matt Brandau, four goals out of Chris Lyons, just not good enough in the end to pick up the win. Scorers for Georgetown, Minikis four and three, Tucker Dordovic six goals, Nikki Solomon five goals in a dish, Graham Bundy Jr. two and oh, Jacob Kelly oh and two. You know, Georgetown got it got it done everywhere. James Riley was 15 to 29 at the dot, not terrible, um, but Carson Milburn came in. I don't remember if Riley maybe got hurt and didn't take a bunch of those draws because he was doing well. But uh, Carson Milburn came in in relief and only won three of 11. So that certainly couldn't have been great for Georgetown overall. And then, as I said, in terms of the goalie battle, not a great day to be goalies. 10 saves for Danny Hinks uh, versus 17 goals against. Both goalies well below 50%. Jared Paquette, 12 saves versus 19 goals against. Uh, game of runs, though. What we saw a lot here was we saw a lot of games that went back and forth and had a ton of lead changes. I forget what the stat line was on this, but I think this game had somewhere in the area of like 10 lead changes and you know a buttload of ties, like 50 ties, 150 lead changes, and all that crap. But just yet, a, yet another very good game overall in this tournament and Georgetown instead of uh, losing last year, like they did to uh, Delaware in the first round of the tournament this year, they get a, they, they draw a tough draw in terms of Yale. Yale's a little bit bipolar in terms of how they played this year, but it was still a tough draw for Georgetown and they end up picking up the win. So good for the Hoyas here. We are going to ditch those games here. And these are the ones that just, they, these games were all blowout. So I didn't write up a whole lot and we'll just talk about them briefly here. I feel like Bryant should have probably been who Duke ended up drawing here. They look terrible overall on the day. Russell Melendez scores a Hopkins record in terms of points in the NCAA tournament. Five goals, four helpers on the day. Jacob Angelus did a great job distributing. He's two of five on the day. Garrett Degnan, two and one. Brooks English, three and oh. Uh, so not only did they get some scoring off guys like Brooks English, who didn't do a buttload of scoring this year, what's he? What are, what's his point total so far this year? Yeah, 10 points all year, and he has three in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Brendan Grimes, one and one. And where was Collison? Collison, just a goal. So, you know, they kept those two guys quiet at the midfield. In terms of keeper, keeper prowess here, it was Tim Marcial had had himself a hell of a game here. Seven saves against just four goals against before being relieved by Gibb uh, Versfeld, who held up the exact same same stat line. Seven saves against four goals against. So as a team, they give up, they make 14 stops, only give up eight goals. You'll take that all day long. Uh, I had said if Tegan Alexander could just absolutely go off and get lucky and stop 60% of his shots, maybe Bryant would have a chance. He didn't. He has 12 saves to 21 goals against before be being relieved here in mop-up duty, and that was not good enough. And then we dive into the face-off battle, and uh, La... Liberty is how I believe you're supposed to pronounce that. I think I got clearance on that. Bryant did a good job at the dot and, and got the better of Hopkins at the dot. But as we said, Marcel made a bunch of saves uh, and uh, the goalie here for Bryant didn't. And that is all she wrote. And as, like I said, as we go through the scoring here, Aiden gets not terrible. He, he had three goals here for Bryant, but that's just not good enough. And I thought, I mean, I, I, I picked the winner, right? I knew Hopkins was going to win. I figured Hopkins may win by five to eight. So for them to just blow the doors off in this one proved two things. A, Hopkins isn't fucking around in the NCAA tournament, and they're going to be a scary team to have to play here. We'll talk about matchups on uh, in uh, Thursday's show. We'll do the, the recap show and everything like that Thursday morning or the preview show Thursday morning. But yeah, Hopkins isn't fucking around. They're going to be a tough draw here through the rest of this tournament. And like I said, Donna did get the seating wrong here, putting Bryant uh, against Hopkins versus Bryant should have been playing Duke. All right, next one, another game that I, I credit Richmond for keeping this closer than it was the last time they played them. Virginia does end up winning 17-8. to eight. 
Cormier ended up with six goals off just seven shots, so he had a bonkers outing. Schellenberger, he's back alive again. Two goals, four helpers in the win. Xander Dixon was quiet, two and one. That's, that is quiet for him. So the usual suspects all factored, though. Connor, McConvey, Schutz. You see all these guys hit the scoreboard. Dalton Young, 2-2. Two and two. He's been a, a bright spot here for Richmond. Uh, Derek Madonna, 3-0. and oh. Lance Madonna, 1-2. and two. Just not enough overall to get it done. Goalie battle. Matthew Nunes in cage. Nine saves to seven goals against. Veek, 10 saves against 17 goals against. The Virginia offense is really good, and you really can't put much of that on Veek. And then Petey LaSala just roached people at the dot. 18 of 27 at the dot for LaSala with nine ground balls on the day. That's pretty good. And did Petey score? Petey did not put up a point, but that's okay. You know, we love him. We love him anyway here. And Virginia just absolutely beat the crap out of Richmond. It was crazy in this game, though, because it really was absolutely just pouring down rain. They were literally running in just huge puddles of water all over the field, especially their, what, you know, second, third quarter or something like that. So, you know, for Richmond to kind of hang, fight through those elements and do okay, I give them credit. But yeah, Virginia is very good. And I think they're going to continue to do well in the tournament here. All right, Notre Dame game, and, and one, this was another one where it was perplexing to me that people actually thought Utah would be able to hang with Notre Dame. That absolutely was not the case. Pat Kavanaugh goes three and four. This is actually the only game I don't think I watched even a minute of this. I only watched the recap, like highlights, the, like that 20-minute highlight video that always ends up on YouTube shortly after they're all played. Pat Kavanaugh, three and four. Jake Taylor, five and oh. They lead Notre Dame here, and uh, and just the, the Notre Dame defense did a great job of just keeping Utah off of the scoreboard. Uh, Liam Entman, 13 saves against six goals against. That is pretty damn solid. It was not a good day to be a goalie if you were uh, Colin Lenscold for Utah as he makes seven saves against 19 goals, goals against. Not very good. And as I said, Cole Brams, I thought, could have been an X factor in this game and probably would, would have been the only way I think that, that Utah could have like kept this within, let's say, like eight goals was I think Cole Brams had to dominate the dot, and he did the opposite of that. He only wins 7-22. So between Hagstrom and Lynch, Lynch goes 15-19 and 19 at the dot. Hagstrom goes 7-12. And uh, so not only did Utah not score a bunch of points, they never even really had the ball all that often throughout the game as Notre Dame rolled to win this one. And that is it. I don't even have the bracket up here. So let's just go to the calendar, and we'll kind of just quickly rip through what we're going to see here coming up next weekend. So I don't know why. Oh, okay, these are all the games here. Okay, so Saturday's games are going to be Virginia against Georgetown, and we're going to have Duke against Michigan. So I'm not going to make my picks here. I'm just going to rip through who we have playing here. So Virginia-Georgetown, let's see. They didn't play during the regular season. Why am I doing this? I just said I wasn't going to go through the matchup, so who cares? So Virginia-Georgetown, Duke-Michigan, that's going to go down on Saturday. On Sunday, we've got Army against Penn State, and we've got Johns Hopkins against Notre Dame. I expect all of these games could be very good. I think the two best games potentially could end up being Virginia and Georgetown and then Penn State-Army. I think that Notre Dame, there's a small chance, I think, that Notre Dame in a rare meeting with John Hop Johns Hopkins, I think Notre Dame may be able to control that one, and I think the same thing with Duke against Michigan. I think all of them have the potential to be incredible, but I'm really looking at this Virginia and the Penn State game 
uh, as being interesting to watch here. So that's it. Shorter show here today, 30 minutes. I got to get the hell out of here and get to work. So uh, be back on Thursday. I'm going to put the preview show out. I like to let these roll a little bit. So Thursday will be the preview show. Um, watch for it. People chirp every once in a while. If I end up being freed up on Wednesday from work a little bit, I may put the 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 show out by Wednesday. But for all of you regulars, you know, you can check Wednesday if it's not there. Just hit Thursday morning and it'll be up. So that's it. I'll be back. And like I said, I'm sorry. I keep wanting to do D2, D3 crap, but the first round's an absolute shit show here um, for the most. That's not true, actually. I know the D2 first round was actually pretty – had a bunch of close games. So we, I will get into talking about them probably Thursday, and we'll talk about the setups and things like that for the D2 and D3 tournaments. I actually promise you because I only have four D1 games to talk about. We'll talk about those, and then we'll dive into what could happen here for the D2 and the D3 tournaments. So I will do that. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Come back Thursday morning for the preview show for the weekend. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch our videos there. You can also get swag, T-shirts, and all that crap. So thanks. That's it. Hoost is out. The Lax Factor Podcast.